This is the Biz of Wealth. Challenges, rumblings, and evolution of the wealth management industry. Well, welcome, Mary, to our podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Mary is uh, Mary Schrader is running a family office that has been a VC in the consumer goods and SaaS mostly, but also specializing in minority uh, founded um, firms, as well as in coaching them and helping them grow. So I met Mary and I thought she had an amazing background and an amazing drive. So that's why we are here and I wanted to have this conversation with her. And Mary, um, I always start my podcasts with, you know, what got you here and what's here? Yeah, I think basically my path is, my professional career has really been driven by uh, curiosity and really pursuing my own interests. You know, when I was in school, I was really interested about working abroad. So I, I studied about finance and I studied about China. And, you know, I was eventually then working in, in Asia for 18 years. And, um, you know, and, and now I'm back in the U.S. As it felt like it was just really right for me. And I wanted to really have a chunk of my career back here in the U.S. And again, I was really just driven to working with founders and, and, and mentoring them and, uh, and, and, you know, also continue to use my resources to invest in their businesses to help them continue to grow. And so it's it's really been driven by where I've just felt very passionate and where my interests lie and and continuing to put that at the forefront of my next move. Okay, so my my first question is related to that um, because that that really caught my attention when we first met. How did you come back to the U.S. from Asia, and what do you feel you brought back? I I really came back because just personally, I felt like I've been gone from my home country for 18 years. It was really time to get back to aging parents, to my siblings that have really young children and wanting to be a part of each other's lives and, you know, missing some, you know, long-term friends and wanting to be a part of, of their lives. And, and also really wanting to have time in my home country and being able to explore and, and, and work here. And I only worked here for about three years before I moved to China. So, you know, it's a pretty short period of time, the whole scheme of things. Um, but while I was in China, I was in Asia, I, I was doing work in a pan-Asia basis. Is I was in, I was a distressed investor and, and also in a high growth investor. And so really working with companies with the founders to the founders, we really you know, rebuilding companies alongside the CEO and, um, and, and the board. And it really was going from, it's a bit of, it's, it's a, a lot of things that you can kind of overlap with what is an entrepreneur's kind of an early stage company struggles. You know, you're, you're struggling with cash flow. You're struggling with, um, you know, basically trying to figure out is your execution plan for growing your, your revenue is that really working? And if it's not, you have to be nimble to change it pretty quickly. You don't really have, you know, too many years to really sit back and, and think about that. So, um, you know, I think, and it, it, 
you're dealing with a lot of moving parts. I mean, it's a pretty stressful situation when you've had to deal with a lot of creditors over years, you haven't been able to pay and, you know, and they believed in you and, and you've kind of disappointed them and we've got to kind of, you know, recreate that trust. And so overall, I would say that, you know, that's all of those skills of really bringing to the table now is, is really being able to work with founders with a relatively, you know, sh a high short-term attention span, but, very much thinking about where are we going? What's the next, you know, kind of three years going to look like for us? Really continuing to help them think through how we're really able to spot some really good talent to be a part of that. How are we able to give them some room to, to be accountable for a part of the business? How are we able to create a profitable business? How are we managing our cash flow? And, you know, how are we able to find the right type of investors at different stages of the company? And, you know, that's really, uh, you know, a lot of the, where I spend my time now. You mentioned you work with distressed companies first. Um, the great difference between distressed companies and founders, I assume, is that founders have done energy in that, you know, impetus because they are just, you know, pushing for the business and they haven't hopefully faced that much of a challenge as an established distressed business. Mm. But between those two, what did you find that was that, you know, people have in common to either get out of a distressed business and be able to make it again or make it as a founder? Listen, I think being a, a founder is a bit of a roller coaster. It can be a bit of an emotional roller coaster, right? And so you really need to find a way to ride that wave as, as, with as much of a steady hand as you can. I mean, you, it's definitely something that people get very emotional about their businesses, which is understandable, but at the same time, really trying to keep persistent, keep moving forward, keep being a really great cheerleader about your vision and keep getting people around you that are really supportive about your vision, finding the right shareholders that are really coming to the table because they believe in you and they, because they believe in the ability of the product to make a really you know, significant impact within the respective industry. And, you know, it, I think again, and, and within the distress realm, we're really looking to remove the people that no longer believe in the business with those people that do and believe in the ability of a situation to recover. And whether that's team members and whether that's external stakeholders, really trying to surround yourself with people that are not blindly posting you up, but are really have an honest review about what's going on, what's working and continuing to, you know, navigate the company to a very profitable, high growth situation. So let me ask you what, um, you know, most of organizations I work with are having challenges with teams and team building and attracting the right talent. You have many years in the industry. What, what do you see different? Why, why is everybody having so much? I would say, you know, this, and this was the very, you know, looking back on 22 with my own companies, there, there's a couple of themes and definitely hiring, uh, you know, some hires were, were not the right hires. And I, I feel like, you know, my entrepreneurs are, are really in that phase of trying to make sure that they understand they can spot talent. They could spot talent that's going to be good at that job. 
and also giving them the ability to do that job, giving some room and accountability to do that job. And so, um, but I, you know, overall, I would say a lot of it tends to be about prioritizing loyalty over skill, really not thinking through as much as to what is the capabilities of the person that's, that we're hiring this role from, for what impact will they have on what is my expectation of the real impact they will have on the company and is this somebody that can is going to be able to lead this department or have us be able to continue to help us grow this department in a significant way and so they can kind of take on a larger role as the company grows i mean typically that's this thing you're kind of overall you you need to hire for people that can be with the company under significant change. And so most likely they need to be able to take on more leadership roles as a part of that. But I, I see people prioritize too often what they feel is a cultural fit over and which blinds them sometimes as to what skill base does somebody have that's coming to the table and what, how are they prepared to not only do the job well, but to also be a teacher, even to the CEO. And so they're respectful of the CEO's strategy, but they're really thinking about, you know, they're, but they also are coming to the table with something that the CEO does not have and a deeper experience on that. So basically, well, there are two things that come to mind when you, when you were speaking, one of them is a lot of people recommend, Hey, hire on values and mm -hmm. skills you can teach which is actually the opposite of what you're telling me. And I then yeah, go ahead. other people say the most important thing is that you hire people that are, you know, sort of smarter than you and, you know, or they will be smarter than you mm -hmm. um, and to complement you. Mm -hmm. So those are two very common advices that I, I've gotten and But, you know, the first one really goes against what you just said. What What do you think about that? Well, listen, I think, think about the role, right? So think of a CFO. So, I mean, you know, they need to come to the table understanding accounts, how to balance, you know, general ledger, how to, uh, you know, or, you know, understand how to lead people that do that work. They understand, need to understand corporate finance, they need to be able to talk to stakeholders or, you know, investors, any kind of financial institution that you might have a financing relationship with, you know, that is a situation where, you know, somebody might be incredibly bright, but if they don't understand how to do the basics of accounting, it they're useless to you, right? So, and this did happen with one of the companies um, that I'm in, involved with. We had, she hired her first uh, CFO and the person that was hired was just, and unfortunately she interviewed incredibly well, um, but she was, just incompetent. She, we weren't getting, we weren't getting balanced accounts. And before she came, we were, so we, you know, it wasn't the account issues. And, um, and we had had a new um, working capital um, loan offer. And so we needed to close that offer and then work, you know, with that bank on the working capital. And she was, uh, she, she had, she was, she did not know how to behave in those meetings. She was highly unprofessional. And she was also, um, Uh, she didn't work on 
she didn't know how to create appropriate deadlines in relation to that banking relationship. And so they really lost confidence in her very quickly. So, you know, she, she's a bright person. She was just not, she did not have the skill base for the job. And she, um, you know, represented that she had skills that she didn't. And, you know, kind of as it can be with these roles, you come in first day and you probably have, you know, like, you know, five major things going on the company, even within that respective department. And she really failed on to deliver on all of those and, and also, you know, create an, um, you know, really lost the confidence of the shareholders and and the bank as to do we have a CFO that is actually going to um, be able to, um, you know, be able to deliver on what we need to understand about the business in order to monitor um, what's going on. Um, so, you know, I think it does depend on the role, but there, it's very difficult to grow a business, especially as you get from the kind of, you're going, you're a $10 million business, you want to go to $50 million business, very difficult to do without having people that un, that can come in the door and understand how to do a job. And they are coming with the logistics capabilities. They're coming with, you know, accounting capabilities. They're coming, understanding how do you make a sales contract? So to come and, to come and teach you actually, and to, to be, you know, better than you and, on, or, you know, to compliment you basically. Yeah. I mean, there has to be a lot of respect for the CEO and understand that this is somebody who's been wearing a ton of hats, but basically in order for the business to continue to grow, those hats need to be put on different heads. And, and, and those people need to be very, you know, coming with some perspective about how things are done at different businesses and, and how they would look at this situation and make it really best in class for, for this company. Actually, the other day, and this comes to the next question that I had for you, um, in terms of how you grow a business, you know, my just yesterday I was actually talking to uh, a friend of mine, a very successful recruiter, and she was telling me, "Well, all of your, you know, all of your problems or all of your client problems come from team, from recruiting, from HR," and. And I was like hearing her and I'm like, well, you sound like me when I talk about branding and marketing. I say all of your problems could be solved with branding and marketing. And I was like, you know, making fun of her in a way. But also, you know, we do have sometimes um, a partial vision when we have a profession on, you know, what what solves a problem or what what makes a company successful. So to give entrepreneurs I, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and, you know, you do find some some areas in which they're weaker, you know, at, at different Absolutely. points in their life. Yeah. But if you had to give them one advice or maybe let's say the five top things to focus on or in terms of a timeline when you're building your business, what would you focus on first, second and third from your point of view? Well, you know, depends on where you are, but you know, first thing is, do you, is your product done? I mean, I've really met some entrepreneurs. It sounds very basic, but I've met some entrepreneurs. This is a woman who's creating a, um, a, uh, a, a, a cap, a swim cap, which is, has, a, you know, keeps all water out. And, um, she's, you know, kind of, she really wants to launch it. Um, but she's, it's not a hundred percent. Um, it's 90%. So like, well, you can't, you don't have your product done. There's really, you can't launch. I mean, 
10% leakage and something like that, you've lost, you've, you've lost the consumer, right? So I think the reality is, is are you proud of your, of a product that you have? Do we have something to, to really go from, from there? The other thing is, um, you know, then after that, I'm really focused on do, how well do you know your customer? How well are we going to be able to create this kind of cult status with them and, and have them be an ambassador about your product? How well do you know of, you know, maybe five things you might tell them about your product, five different sales points? What is it they kind of take away? What are they going to repeat back to some friend when they're describing what you're doing? How are we really, what is, what is kind of the top, you know, two out of those five and, and, you know, really trying to understand what is it that hooked people to get them from here to there. And, and also where do you, where is your consumer? How do you reach them? Where, you know, is it certain retail? Is it, you know, more e-commerce? Do you, what are, what is it, what is that kind of distribution channel that you think is most likely going to be the right fit? But especially in the early days, I'm really focused not necessarily on being everywhere as much as being in places that we know are going to be very successful, reaching the consumer, knowing the consumer, speaking to them, creating cult status with them and making sure that we're creating an opportunity for them to buy our product with ease. Great. So you say product development, value proposition for your client and knowing your client and knowing where they are. Basically, those are the three things you should focus on at first. Nice. And I wanted to talk to you just before we hit record. Um, I wanted also to talk to you about the VC world and the VC firms. Yeah. You know, what what do you see they're doing right? You know, this year the VC landscape changed completely from you know, from everything what that was happening with the excess in cash. And now, you know, going back to I see it going back to normal, uh, mm -hmm. to where you know things should be. Um it felt like sort of like a bubble. Yeah, um, yeah. So what do you see happening? Who's doing good work? Who's doing the best work? And um, how, why? Yeah, I, I have to say, I kind of, I mean, I, I perhaps this comes from my distress background. I, I really uh, tend to be, you know, feel a little bit of this Machiavellian attitude of, listen, I think if you can, create products that are profitable and you get more, you know, you get support around those and we're seeing momentum, then those companies should survive. And those that are losing a ton of money and are really not getting much interaction around it for five years, I'm not sure those should be, you know, very, uh, you know, it, it funded to a high extent and definitely shouldn't be worth a high amount of money. So, I mean, I would say a lot of the situations I'm seeing we're seeing any venture capital investors probably seeing a lot getting their door knocked on a lot more with companies that, you know, really haven't had a ton of traction. They don't have a profitable model. They don't really understand their client very well. They don't know how to market their product. You know, I think there's a lot of these where you're trying to say, well, listen, I'm not sure. I don't, not sure you should exist. You know, things don't seem to be going that well. So um, you know, I, I'm not going to necessarily name drop, but I'll say, you know, those that I admire most in the industry are those that very much understand what it, what the company does, which sometimes people do not. And I think that exists a lot over the last couple of years, especially on the technology side. I don't think people really understood 
what was the major KPIs that were going to transform this business. They thought they had their own opinion of it. The CEO might have their own opinion of it, but those aren't always aligned. But really the best are people that are deep into the industry that really understand where does the company fit in the industry. They're really coming to the table with some good added value help, whether that's on the human resource side, on the distribution side, whatever it is. Um, they are very, you know, encouraging, they're very supportive of the founder in many ways. Sometimes it doesn't always work out with the founder to continue to grow the business, you know, past a certain point, but you're really, you know, I think the role has to be in those that I've seen it done really well. They're really trying to empower that founder as much as you can. So really trying to look for that kind of very positive relationship with people going into, a company where they truly understand where it fits within the industry and they truly understand what are those catalysts that continue to build it. And, you know, we're really looking to kind of continue to kind of remove as many of the kind of boulders um, that fit, you know, that sit ahead of the, the founder and continue to say, you know, in six months, you're probably going to start to face this issue. Let's start talking about it. Let's, you know, kind of continue to help them navigate. Um, as the business grows. What you what do you see, you know, coming 2023? How do you see the markets evolving? And, you know, the entrepreneur and well, the startup and the VCs. I, um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are getting the message that, you know, you really need to you need to come to the table with a company that's going to make profits before it, you know, before it hits, you know, kind of, I don't know, there's not a specific number, but before it hits 10 million in revenue, you really have to show something is going to be able to be a profitable company. I think it's a very hard sell now to say, I'm going to be a $50 million, you know, company, and I'm still going to be making significant losses. I think that's a really hard sell. I think people are, that founders are going to come to the understanding that they need to find a way in order to net net make cash to fund the business. I think they're also going to, I think people are also going to feel that they need to be, um, they, there, there's a limit to how much marketing spend you can have. And um, most venture capitalists that I meet now are not comfortable with a very high amount of marketing spend um, in order to, you know, grow the revenue. And so very high, and that means mean you're spending over 50% or maybe even over 40% of every dollar that comes in to marketing. I think that for us says that we're not getting a lot of traction in the market. You're really having to beg for business. You're really having to be that kind of constant Instagram ad that's kind of everywhere and you're not getting this natural buzz. And typically those kind of budgets that's put to that is not, cannot consistently be run. I mean, I know of a company that's growing and I love their products. I think they've done an incredible job at creating cult status within um, their community. Um, but 50 cents of every dollar comes in, goes to social media ads. And it means that they are losing money up and by their forecasts until they're an 80 million revenue company. And they need to keep diluting their shareholders every two years in order to support that growth. I, I think people are going to see that, you know, 
I need, I think founders need to see that there's more pressure to create a profitable company that can grow with not a huge marketing spend with not that level. So definitely we'd expect it to be a little bit more disproportionately high in the beginning, but essentially level it down over time. I also think, you know, we're, we're, you know, venture capital, the trend of continuing to support those companies that you've already involved in the extent you can is still going to be there, especially in the first half of the year. And that's going to be way prioritized over new investments. Uh, so I, you know, really do expect that the first half of this year, at least is going to continue to be focused on, it's going to be a hard fundraising market, unless you really have, you know, really great stats. We're seeing high, you know, great velocity of your products. We're seeing, you know, really great cold status built. And we can kind of, you know, check that in a number of ways. We're really seeing profitability grow into the business. You know, I think that those are the things that, you know, um, those are, those are, you know, we're in the business of continuing to support brands that are getting traction. And there will always be people that will do that, but you have to be really showing signs of a true winner. One last question. Why minority owners? Well, it's an obvious gap in the market. And, and frankly, my model, I'm always comfortable with a founder that's going to come to me with a bunch of problems that they're facing. I, I, I would rather not have most of the people I work with, I'm talking to once a week, once every other week. And I just would rather have that time and talk to me about the areas in which they're, 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 they need help. They need struggling or that this didn't go right. And I'm going to pivot in this way. You know, we want to have those conversations that I would be talking about all the good things that are happening because let's focus on, you know, that those things, there are lots of people that will kind of pay attention to those things. But overall, I would say, you know, I run a very heavy mentoring model investment kind of, you know, kind of holistic approach to being involved with founders And it's once you start working with, you know, backgrounds, founders of diverse backgrounds, you realize that they, uh, that is less people, typically less people within their community that have deep experience in growing companies. They know less CEOs. They have a longer way to go in order to build their professional network. Um, they are not necessarily coming off of a background, uh, um, you know, a, a collegiate background that's giving them really deep access to people. We're really, you know, these are people that need help to grow their businesses and grow their community and get more perspective about what is a grown-up business really look like. And um, so I'm, you know, because I'm having, running a heavy mentor investment model, it, that's a really good fit. Yeah. So you like the, the bigger impact, basically. I like the what? The bigger impact. Yeah. I definitely want to, you know, be able to be helpful to the companies that I'm involved in. I like, I'm a very proactive investor. I'm, I, you know, I think it's, um, that's, that's where I've decided to spend my time right now. Um, and You know, I, I I have to say, I just also think when I started looking at these, not only is there a, you know, a general understanding that the, you know, the, the female entrepreneur, the kind of ethnic minority or, you know, is, is less funded within this country. I think they're really underappreciated in the context of the way that, you know, when typically, 
you're going to get a presentation that's not going to be as uh, Wall Street ready. But, you know, so there's a little bit more of kind of um, the funkiness maybe to the way that somebody is going to be explaining what they're doing and how they're going to grow their business and, and how essentially they're kind of putting their team together. And you got to kind of look for some really good basics there, but I don't think it's kind of given to you all shiny and nice on a presentation. You have to dig into a little bit more, a little bit more work. Um, but, um, I would also say, I just think that this is a whole group of people that are way underestimated within the, within the funding market. I love that. Okay. And now, yes, it's the last question. If okay. you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? It would really be empower people. I think that's, you know, definitely, uh, there's an opportunity to do it in so many aspects of your life, but there is this very basic principle of really trying to understand what would help somebody and what would give them the opportunity to continue to grow their own opportunities in their own lives. And um, I, I think that's a human responsibility. And I also think it requires a bit of thoughtfulness, kindness, and, um, and the ability to keep, you know, help people you know, empower people, but help them move on their way. And um, so that's, uh, I think I'd like to see that more in the world. I like that coming from a VC, especially empower people. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mary, for your time. It was a lot of fun and very, very interesting. Great. I really appreciate the time with you as well.